welcome to One More Turn, a classic gaming podcast that's always free to play. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. Kevin, uh, this week we're bringing in special guest expert friend. You may know him from his series of podcasts, DuckBeed.TV, or you might know him from his writings on previous guest expert friend Alice Lee's The Yearbook Office. This week we're bringing in Gary Butterfield. Hello, Gary. Hi. Jim, hi, hey, Gary. How you doing? I'm good. I'm, that's it. I'm just good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's meh. It's like a, another day, another day, another recording, right? <laughs> um, cool guys. Yeah, no, I'm doing. I'm doing great. Awesome, great. To, it's great to have you. I have to admit, I may be a little out of it for this episode. Um, I had kind of an odd experience yesterday involving being stuck in my own personal wheeled sensory deprivation tank for seven hours. Stuck on a right. you're stuck in a traffic jam in which let me tell you something being alone with your thoughts for seven hours seven minutes I think is terrifying enough right now given that I that I have this constant urge to just put some sort of culture or some sort of uh, some sort of other, I guess of othering into my ears or brain at at all times right now hearing nothing but silence is such a terrifying thing and then being locked into that silence is such another world that's what podcasts are for like you know there's you listen you start listening to a lot of podcasts when you can't handle not hearing words ever you guys would hate yoga i'm just gonna put that out there that is the last that is the last five minutes of every yoga class is complete silence well, i'm lactose right. intolerant so it makes sense <laughs> One of my podcasts that I listen to is a yo- is the Yoga Cast. Oh, okay, and it's just silence for well, thirty see, minutes. Yeah, it's what I found when I accidentally, when many years ago, I mistyped uh, Yogs Cast, and I've been listening to it ever since. Who hosts the Yoga Cast? Dalsum from Free Fire. Yeah, <laughs> Dalsum. That's Master Dalsum, I believe. <laughs> Guru Dalsum. Yeah, it's a great cast, although it just doesn't measure up against all of the other ones, including the uh, the Tiger Upper cast. Yoga Flame cast. Or Will Wheat Psycho Wesley Crusher cast. <laughs> Let me ask you, Gary. Has this kind of thing ever happened to you, where you're just stuck somewhere in an awful place, and you're crouching, you just want to curl up into a fetal position, listen to podcasts, and hope you can just pass the time and be happy at the end of it? <laughs> uh, yeah, like I've had a lot of bad jobs. Uh, which all of which are like that. I wish that I could curl up and just listen to a podcast and, and not do the work that I, I have to do. Pretty yeah, pretty pretty much pretty much constantly. The uh, I, I am in that state. So you've started the DuckFeed.tv uh, podcast network. Uh, how did you how did you get started doing that? Uh, so the there's actually came along a little bit before me. Uh, Cole, who is the guy who I do most of the shows with, did uh, just a couple shows on the network, and then we met each other through the Something Awful forums. There was mm-hmm. a, a podcast workshop. And we kind of found each other through that and just liked each other's stuff. I was doing my own uh, show, a show called Did Idea Valhalla at the time. And then he did a video game kind of roundtable show. And whenever he would talk about old games, he would get kind of, no one knew what he was talking about and, and nobody had played them because he's, he's a younger man, but he also, he's kind of uh, precocious. So we just kind of just thought like, oh, let's try, let's get together and do that. And that just kind of took off. And then we, you know, moved it into different, different shows. You know, that show did really well. That's uh, Watch Out for Fireballs. And then we started doing a show on uh, Dark Souls. Because if you ever look at, like, the iTunes charts for video game stuff, pretty much, like, a, sh- a show that's about one game does really well. 
Like it's all like Minecraft Minute and the Raid and and you know the the Sims newsletter and and stuff. Uh, so you know we did start doing this show about Dark Souls, which is really cool because we got to meet a lot of cool Dark Souls people, and that's how we got into it. Now it's pretty much just like a banner to do whatever. So like there's a blog that I do, and there's some some stuff in the pipeline that we want to start as well. It's actually kind of interesting because that is almost the exact story of how this show started as well. <laughs> yeah, po- that's how podcasts get together. Was it? Did you guys uh, meet on awesome? Where did you guys come together? We on the Maximum on... Fun forums. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wrote. Dear world, I need a partner to talk about video games. Long walks on the beach are not necessary. But I'm still current. waiting for mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, SF, SFM. I don't know. SWM. I wrote something on a forum. Jim was the only person that answered. And Kevin this, still regrets it to this day. Regrets a strong word. Hey, have you well, guys, I, no. <laughs> how long have you guys been doing the show? Oh, two Year years. A year and a half, now. two years, yeah. Two years, yeah. Have you guys met in real life? Haha, that's a fun trivia question. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. What is real life, Gary? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, long walks on the beach, talking about video games in person, though. Yeah, you discuss our favorite surfing games. (laughs) Yes. No, we we have not. Right, or our Point Break cast, which is coming out soon. (laughs) (laughs) The Point Break Break? Um, it's uh, well we're starting the point break cast but then that's going to probably lead into the brody cast and then that might lead into the Bodhi cast excuse me oh, i want <laughs> the brody cast and then after the Bodhi cast will be the keanu cast there probably is a keanu cast right don't do we, doesn't that Look, feel like a real a, thing even without if there's us a podcast if there's a podcast that exists where two people watch grown-ups two over and over again uh, I think there's going to be a podcast about Keanu Reeves films. Sad Keanu cast. We'll be right back on one more turn. Welcome back to one more turn where we're talking Maniac Mansion. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And I am Gary. So this week, Jim, Gary, we are playing, as Jim said, Maniac Mansion. Originally released in 1987 for the Apple IIe and Commodore 64. Maniac Mansion was developed by Ron Gilbert and David Winnick, who I believe they just reteamed for something called Thimbleweed Park. Another point-and-click adventure in the style of Maniac Mansion. But I think the one everyone played, I think the one we're all familiar with, is the NES one that came out in 1990. Jalico published, Lucasfilm developed. Is it, was it Lucasfilm Games back then, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was specifically, it was called, like, Lucas, before, this was before, I think, like, Lucas Arts was a thing. It still had the, the Dancing Golden Man on it. So this game is actually, has a little bit of history. Supposedly, Ron Gilbert coined the term cutscene with this game. So whenever you see, whenever you hear that term, yeah, it's not that cutscenes didn't exist before Maniac Mansion, but supposedly he coined the term for this game. Like he used it. He was the first one to say cutscene. Sure. They are cutting to a scene. But isn't like when you're playing the game, isn't that also technically a scene? It's, it's the, it's the family guy thing. But isn't, well, when you change characters, that's ultimately what you're doing, right? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Huh. Take that, Ron Gilbert. (laughs) Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Take that, you wild, wildly successful, famous developer. And, and like, 10th level amazing sweetheart. 
Maniac Mansion was, like I said, developed by Gilbert and Winnick. And supposedly the mansion is actually based off of Skywalker Ranch because at a certain point they they switched to, they actually moved into the garage at Skywalker Ranch and started developing it there or had their offices next to George Lucas, basically. So take of that what you will between parallels of Dr. Fred and George Lucas. Uh, that's where the <laughs> oh, that's where the nuclear reactor came from. <laughs> right. But this is the first Lucasfilm NES game. Very first one that they published on NES, and there's a Swedish version. I just thought that was so charming that they published the Swedish version of this game. <laughs> uh, and the other other piece of it is that Schaefer playtested the NES version, which you know he later used a meteor in his game, uh, Psychonauts. Kind of kind of ripped off the idea. Schaefer, come up with your own stuff, guy who is incredibly creative <laughs> and also super nice. <laughs> uh, so Gary, you know, I you know we've we've done point and click before, and and. You know, this is kind of the one a lot of people, I, I feel like we've b- bounced around it ourselves. We wanted to do it. But I'm curious why you, when we asked you to come on the show, why Maniac Mansion above all, not just above all over point and click, but just all other games? Yeah, Maniac Mansion is real special, I think, partly because of the uh, the system it was on. On the NES, being a, a Nintendo kid, it was rare to come along across this genre. You know, there were like Mac Venture games and Kingsfield 5 for some reason and a couple other adventure games. But you know, I didn't have a, a PC growing up. You know, I didn't have a computer. I also didn't have a, a Commodore 64. So I just had an NES, and this was my first exposure to this type of game. And uh, it is it is really layered. Like, it is simultaneously really pretty funny um, and then also really tense and kind of scary in a way that I haven't seen done that I just really, really appreciate. And then also, I don't know if you guys, what you know, kind of uh, if you guys do this or anything, but if you guys ever use any music from the games... Music in this game is is killer. Like it is so oh, good. Notch. It is one of my. It's my favorite NES soundtrack. Uh, is the, the Maniac Mansion soundtrack? It's so good. Or it has this like um, weird kind of narrative purpose too, where it's like it's not just catchy, but each like song says something about the character because they're carrying around CD players. So you get a little bit of like characterization through the soundtrack, and it's just like so so good. Right. I believe it, it, the yeah. Commodore sixty four one was like silent. There was no soundtrack. Every, every previous it version was... was just dead silent, which again is creepier. <laughs> like if you're just exploring this house and you don't know where anyone is, like it's more realistic. But I think I'd carry around my boombox if I was <laughs> put some headphones on. Right, especially if you were in a rock group that was Gary and the Scumettes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if I came across a piano, I'd jam some tunes. Who cares? I don't care if I get caught. I'm a cool punk lady. I will say, yeah, this was the this this also was a bunch of first here. Like this, they they created the Scum engine. For this game so it was like which they basically used for like the next 10 years <laughs> but they had to remove reference to in the nes version yeah and it's because you know even if i got into adventure games before like a text parser is kind of a terrible thing i don't know if you guys have played the game like those are hard <laughs> those are, are annoying and like i know that was a big part of the impetus behind making the scum engine was just to try to get that ease of use like there's no reason for me to have to figure out if I need to use the thing or activate the thing or turn on the thing. Like, just give me one, you know, one button for it. And eventually, like, Adventure Games is streamlined down to just kind of one-click contextual stuff. But this was the first step on that that path to usability uh, that I think is kind of essential and the genre would have died a horrible death not for. So what was your... Do you remember much of your, your reaction to, like, the first time you played this game? Uh, just, I mean, it was really, like, unlike anything I'd played before... Um, I like to think that, like, even though I was a little, you know, just like liked platformers and action games as a kid, as I've grown up, I've gone uh, sought out uh, 
some of those stranger like gaming experiences and, and more unique things. And I think this was kind of like the first inklings of that to where I didn't just, you know, oh, I have to read this. And also, you know, you don't jump. I can't play this. But instead, I just kind of stuck with it. Um, and I just remember thinking that the uh, like the art style and that atmosphere was really, really strong. Like I have this, uh, you know, really early on, you can go uh, get into the kitchen in the game and just uh, just pass out. There's a dining room where you just pass these like piles of rotting food. Like someone has set out a banquet that is has been going to rot. And I just remember thinking that was so creepy. Like, so like somebody setting up a, a feast that never got eaten and is just left to kind of languish. Um, like it's like in, uh, in Great Expectations, like the wedding cake. You know, mm-hmm. I just remember like it just, it just being like, man, is that unnerving in a way I can't explain. And just having this very strong impression like that makes this special, even though I don't really know the, you know, the verb set of how to solve puzzles this way. Like I haven't played a game like this. This is worth sticking with because it's so weird. Especially when you're incorporating in, you said before, the, the comedic elements to it as well. Um, not only saying like, like, what are the things that are, you know, what are the things that are in the fridge? Everything there also is like, is a little goofy, but also kind of makes sense. It's like, if you're going to find batteries, well, where are you going to find them? Like, well, probably in electronics. Okay. And what about in electronics? Like maybe they're in the fridge. I remember seeing batteries in a fridge before in real life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, is that a thing? Do, do they extend the battery life? They, that was, yes, they do. That's a thing. That, that oh, was film. You might see film in a fridge too. That's, I used to be kind of spooked out by film, uh, camera film, before we all went digital in a fridge. I keep my digital camera in the fridge. Well, right, especially well, especially because that is one of the ways to beat the game, right? Yeah, like, I mean, because I mean, that, that's super, super special, too. Like, the, when I realized, like, oh, I could, you know, there's different ways to do this. Like, that's crazy. Like, there's not just, you know, an A to, a to Z progression. Like, there's all kinds of different ways. And once you actually kind of get into the different ways of beating the game, like... They're really creative and funny. Getting that guy's novel published, that's really funny. I mean, I, I, it, there's nothing less funny about saying about a joke than just saying it is funny. But it's funny in that way that, like, it just kind of, like, awes me more than makes me laugh. Like, that's such a cool thing to be in a Nintendo game, just as a, as a verb set thing. Like, this is a thing you can do. Make fun of Jay Leno at the same time. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, kids are always, they love skewering popular talk show hosts. Yeah, what's what's funny about I know you're, you mentioned because you know you played on the Nintendo. What's funny about the Nintendo one is how what's so funny is they censored the crap out of it, except they forgot to remove the hamster killing. <laughs> Later editions, they perp, Nintendo forced Jalico to take that joke out, take the hamster killing out. Oh, really? They removed it from that. Yeah, yeah, but like everyone remembers the hamster thing, like like that the only the musicians kill the hamster everybody else is like no i'm not gonna do that jerk <laughs> right all yeah all, all team musicians are nihilists well these two specifically definitely look like nihilists to me right versus like the jazz guy like really yeah he's a i think he's supposed to be a new wave new wave guy but he's he's like the superfluous yeah. character like there's not much point to sit other than like a cool song for him mm-hmm. He does have a pretty good song. It's a good song. And, he, and cool much, shades. Yeah, cool cool shades, good song. Can't clear clear hearts, can't lose. The uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, I was looking through the there was a there's a really good write up. Uh, I I think actually it's uh, David Winnick, I believe, although I have to double check that, um, who wrote uh, about the process of porting the game to Nintendo and specifically uh, the changes that they made or at least believed they needed to make based on Nintendo's like they had a very strict rule set although the sorry the implementation of those rules seemed very kind of sparse 
and confusing, like in, very mm. inconsistent. Because uh, one thing that's mentioned in there is how they can never use the word kill in anything. That is just the worst word to use, which is strange because that at its core is most of the gameplay on Nintendo games. Like, let's be honest here. Um, is that a lot of games just have some amount of violence to them, although normally it's abstracted in a way such that it's just, okay, that guy's flashing and it's not a problem. Versus, like, we were talking Bionic Commando a while ago, and that involves a gory a gory Hitler face just exploding into all sorts of viscera. And that's okay. Like, having um, a kill thrill as an arcade game just wasn't wasn't okay there's a lot of things in there that are a little strange that that were left in as well a lot of a lot of nurse edna's lines uh were taken out because a lot of them were very sexually suggestive they left a lot of them in too like uh you know if you if you capture a uh, or if she captures you and you're a lady character she's like you're lucky you're not a boy <laughs> and it's like ooh, ooh boy <laughs> Yeah, or actually, if you, and if you are a boy, she says, like, I should have tied you to my bed, cutie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's problems in that marriage. Um, that's the first thing I can surmise, is that they, <laughs> they're having a little... It's a, like like Tyler Perry confessions of Nurse Edna. Like... <laughs> um, well, there's a problem when the first time she, she sees him is yeah. five years <laughs> later, after this yeah. meteor strikes. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the, uh, there's that arcade game, too. There's the Tuna Diver arcade game. Oh which, yeah, which got which kept in, which is like, Ooh. I don't know if I like that phrase, <laughs> right? Um, you know why they use the word tuna? Oh, because uh, they want to say shithead. Like, yeah, you're supposed to be. You're supposed yeah. To be, so it may, I mean, but shithead diver doesn't sound like a. Well, shit oh, yeah. diver sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> the worst Dio song. Actually, there's actually uh, in the the documentation of the game, uh, the original the original thing they were gonna change that to was muff diver. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Which, uh... Um, yeah, imagine that didn't get it through. But it's also strange because there's even, uh, like, lines that were regarding, uh, like, the, I guess, a depiction of gratuitous violence, or even, just, not I said gratuitous, but at least more imaginative, such as the phrase, getting your brains sucked out, mm-hmm. was was too intense. So it just had to be removed, get your brains removed. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot, yeah. There's a lot of there's a strange history to things that had to be changed in this. Actually, I kind of recommend. I'll post a, I'll post a link up in show notes about this. Yeah, that whole process is fascinating. I, I work in marketing and I have to write copy, and we always have to pass it by a legal department before we can go. And it's the same thing. You like you look at the changes that they ask you to make, and it's amazing how what they have a problem with and what people have a problem with. I've always considered if you have a department and their job is to be a gatekeeper, they will do that job because they feel like they have to <laughs> not because not not because there's actually any content problem mm-hmm. if you know what i mean like they'll just they're going to find problems because they're paid to find yeah. problems not that there actually are problems well when you're a hammer everything looks like a nail <laughs> you know kind of thing yeah yeah exactly, exactly. right when you have the uh, right when like you that. have the push option you just want to push everything and yeah. see what happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny you mentioned the kill thing because yeah, you can kill your own teammates at this game. Like, there's it's not like this game is devoid oh, of no. death. Like, there is a nuclear fallout <laughs> ending. There is yeah, a, there's like a drown your party uh, members you ending. Dr- there's a Sims ending. I call that the Sims ending. Oh, Jim, sure. Drown everybody. Sure. Or like you deliver the exploded hamster back to Weird Ed. Uh, that that one's the the most dark one because it just the screen goes black and then it comes up on a tombstone. Like we we, <laughs> right. we don't know what he did to you um, in the interim. 
But he's like this kind of like paramilitary nut, like survivalist nut. So I'm like, uh, whatever it is that happened, it's uh, yeah. it's probably worse than anything I had seen in a video game to that time, and maybe up to, even to through today. Yeah, <laughs> Soldier of Fortune had nothing on this. <laughs> it's 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 the spec ops of its time. It's a harrowing experience of like you know dealing with military politics and and stuff the um i love that that scene where you give him the hamster too because the dawning realization that he has where he's like oh what's this that's just fur and blood and then just slowly it comes to him like what you've done for no reason there's just violence like there's no reason to do that it's just a terrible easter egg for awful people i think it's really cool also <laughs> because due to the the graphical limitations none of that is done none of that is done through anything but the text and the mouth moving. Mm-hmm. So it's just like the mouth just kind of drops open as if he's talking. <laughs> and it just stays that way. <laughs> so they, like they do a lot. They do a lot of storytelling just with a very limited tool set. Yeah. Um, between not only is it you mentioned the music before and even like being able to like record music actually on the cassettes to being able to solve puzzles is also sort of neat. There's like the if you record the, like the very shrill, the very shrill like broken sound to make the glass shatter and then you send that to the guy who publishes music and it just shatters all the windows yeah. in his office <laughs> yeah the, well the, it's it's there's like just kind of layers to it like you can they needed to make uh you can re- recording music as a solution to a puzzle so then they know well there are other things there are other bits of music and then sending this this tape out for publishing as a solution to a puzzle so what happens if you know like there's they just kind of like think of the what the answer to these if then statements are you can send him the the loom loop as well there's that record that's just the the first few notes of the the loom theme song which was a cool cool i remember when i read that that was what that was it was the first time i heard of loom and like that's another game i really really love but he he reacts in just different ways each time so there's just like so much hidden detail in the world like optional stuff which is it's strange in a way because i've I often get very frustrated with with point click adventure games, as you mentioned before. Like uh, adventure games with text parsers run into a problem in which you have to sort of just guess at what the language is that this wants you to to acknowledge, or at least wants you to to address it in. And when you have it narrowed down to what is it, like the twelve or sixteen different verbs that it gives you, there's still an element to that. It's a difficult thing to to try to manage, given that some of this game is is portrayed in real time specifically mm-hmm. in sections where you're trying to run from someone mm-hmm. or you're trying to get to a get to the front door to swipe a package before weird ed gets it there's limitation in that way but it's like this it's this it's a little con- it's confusing at least to kind of, to me as to i understand there's this selection of things or verbs that i'm allowed to do but being able to pinpoint what works with what takes a lot of trial and error and there's fr- there's frustration to that yeah which is weird because i feel like that kind of counters some of this strange variety that they have on very on very specific elements whether it is like recording of the recording music or just having like the multiple pathways to victory allowing variation but rather at like the full game level rather than at the player level they're, they're circling into something i think like if you if you look at this mm-hmm. as the second step from a text parser, getting to where it'll ultimately be to where they they've come up with a more elegant solution to that problem. So it's not there yet. You know, I would agree with that. And each if you look at the scum engine, like they reduce the number of verbs. Like we don't need turn on and turn off. You know, we can just have use or, you know, activate or something like that. Like they get there eventually. 
Um, but there are some like weird holdover mm. things. Like uh, Maniac Mansion has a lot of like what I call when we do adventure games on Watch Out for Fireballs. Um, I call chaff items, which is like you know in an adventure game you're you are a Roomba, and you just go through and grab everything because you might need to rub it up against something else later. And this game has a lot of stuff that you don't need to rub onto anything. You just kind of have to hold on to it. Um, and that is a weird kind of like also something that I feel like has has been kind of uh, fallen by the wayside in adventure games as well. Like now if something's here, it's meaningful, you know, more often now it's right. not so much. That's just... what Monkey Island always did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so th- that's something that also, but if you, if you view this as kind of like that second stage of, stage of evolution, like if you imagine that like evolution chart and this is like, it's not the, the ape, it's the caveman, you know, and eventually it becomes the beautiful, like, uh, you know, telltale adventure game kind of thing at the end where it's like super simple. Yeah. I, I... Yeah, there's there's a fine line, and that is like, how do you make this world feel alive? All those like items are there, put there probably to make this feel like a real world. Like you can just grab anything and do anything. But yeah, at the same time, there has to be you want functionality eventually mm-hmm. with some of those things, uh, and you want them to actually have a uh-huh. use. So uh, you know, you how do you do that with without pissing off right, without the interfere without <laughs> interfering with the it. task at hand? Like, yeah, like, I absolutely think it would be yeah. hilarious to just like pick up all of the, the the rotten food from the from the dining table and just drop it in the pool because that <laughs> would be just sure. Why not? It's, it's like we're, we're turning Maniac Mansion Terrible into soup. just cause. Uh, but there's a second thing that Jim was kind of alluding to that I, I liked about this, and that you know, I don't know about you, but most point and click to me, the result of uh, using anything is often either not working or death. <laughs> uh, uh, it's like there's usually just two two outcomes for any for use of any item on another item, and here they actually you you can use things on other things. And there's actually like a third option, which is just an alternate story or an alternate. I'm not sure. I always see that. I know we played uh, Grim Fandango. It was either use. It was either death or nothing mm-hmm. when you didn't <laughs> when uh you 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 use certain items or did or used weird items in weird spots and i appreciated this one because they just let you kind of create your own world a little bit or at least they allow for a variety of mm-hmm. outcomes uh using different things in different places for, for being like a crazy uh sci-fi game um like i think that contributes in the fact that there are these kind of uh non-useful items for being a crazy sci-fi horror game there are a lot of concessions to actually being a teen in a in an ocu- trespassing in a mansion. You know, not Lisa, which just being the setting too. So like, they need to be able to like mm-hmm. just you won't automatically die if you use a can of Pepsi on a plant in real life. Um, you know, you should be able to, you should be able to do it here, and that kind of plays into this like grander like oh, this is a house. These things are here because it is a familiar type of environment. You know, and that adds to so even though in one way it kind of. Uh, runs contrary to the playability. Like if you're trying to, if you played adventure games and you're trying to second guess the system, you know, you are going to think there's a use for everything. You're going to try everything just because that's the way you make your way forward. But on the other hand, like it is like these things actually do have a function, like you have a kind of a libretto in the real world to kind of see what these things would be. Like, it's not so fantastical. Um, you know, you can imagine what a weight bench would do. You can imagine what, uh, you know, like you said, the batteries in the fridge is like a thing that actually happens. Like there are elements that do contribute to it, but there are also elements to it that are still like, it's, it's just got its foot in both ponds, I guess. We'll be right back on one more time. Welcome back to One More Turn, where we're talking Maniac Mansion. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And I'm Gary. 
Uh, so you had mentioned about there being like this this real this real world kind of equivalency, at least in terms of the 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 locale, the like the environment, the interactions, and the like. And I this was a game that I watched my older brother play a lot when I was young. Uh, I could never really grasp it. One because I think maybe I was you know five or six years old, and you know you ask these questions about everything in the house. Where it's, okay, I want to see what happens when I, you know, turn on the chair. Oh, I guess that doesn't really do, that doesn't make any sense. But yet in my young mind, that's what's happening. To an extent, I guess, kind of is as well. But in a way, I, I look at this as being almost the perfect, like, teen horror movie. Because I look at the characters here, and they're all, they're all different tropes. Like, they're all very one-dimensional characters here. Which, uh, sure, that, that's that's fine for the purposes of solving puzzles and the like. Like, there is a character, the character who has this interest, and that is almost, like, the defining characteristic of that character. In a way, it's an anime, right? Or, I guess, the first half of The Breakfast Club. I wanted to ask, when you are basically kind of creating your own teenage horror movie, how are you doing that? Specifically, like, when you're playing this game, there's a very diverse cast list here. And I think that's something that I that I personally didn't really appreciate when I was young. But that's only I guess that that's again that's not something that I was looking for at that time. Also because I'm a white guy, therefore it's not something that just wasn't on my mind ever. So I wanted to ask, what's the way that what's the way that you do that? Yeah, it's it's interesting you, you say that too because that's all part of the intention. That kind of like teen sci-fi double feature thing was is is part of the mission statement for the game. And like I think that the idea of having these. Um, these archetypes rather than, than characters is necessary since you have to be able to kind of surmise based on how they look, uh, what they could possibly do. Even though there are some things that fly in the face of that, like who knew that the stoner surfer guy is like good at fixing phones? Um, and I don't know if that was like a jab at technical college or something like that, but like the... Uh, but for the <laughs> I most, hope it is. Like, for, the, for the most part, uh, that was the case. And I always uh, gravitated just towards the characters whose music I like the best. Because you can beat it with any combination of characters, um, which is really cool. So that ended up being uh, Bernard and Michael. Um, Bernard with like the he has like this twitchy, you know, kind of Devo electronic stuff, and then Michael has the eight bit funk uh, <laughs> music comes through, which is like undercuts the diversity a little bit. <laughs> like yeah. it's like yeah, like we have a black dude, but like man, is he into funk music? You know, here's his like comes in whenever you select him. But the, those are the guys who I liked. But I've gone through and beat it with all of the different combinations of characters. The only one who I don't like is Wendy because I don't like her music. Like that mm. kind of faux classical thing that she has, I think, is pretty hard to listen to. Yeah, they Bernard, by the way, they also, he's probably the only character that they give more personality to. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure if that's just sort of an, if that's just sort of a side effect of most game developers who are probably kind of nerdy themselves. The, uh, well, the Dave was based on uh, Ron. Like, Ron based uh, Dave on himself a little bit. Like, that's his mm. jacket. You know, the jacket that Dave wears. Like, that was how he used to dress. Um, but you're right, because, like, Bernard, you know, he kind of came across as more developed, and I think that's why he ended up in the sequel. Yeah, because, like, in this case, he has, like, there he has, a, like, a, a phobia of of what is happening around him. And, and coming to terms with that is actually, like, kind of an underlying structure, to, or at least an underlying story to the game. But it's kind of the, one of the only characters that kind of has, has their own subplot in that way. Yeah, he's the only one who reacts at all in any way of being, like, unnerved by anything that's happening. Like, he's the only one who reacts. So. Mm -hmm. Which I remember, like, I remember, like, losing my mind the first time Bernard's in a room with the green tentacle. Yeah. He just, like, loses my, and then you run out the door and you can't even interact there. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, the, the, like, taking that, putting that wallet between you, you and the character, 
like reminding mm-hmm. you of the difference between the player and the character in that like it was that's that's awesome like that is, is super super neat and that you run into that with the hamster too like when certain characters won't obey me you know like that adds a lot of kind of flavor to them and bernard's the only one too who uh can actually augment someone else's ending with the writer ending yeah yeah he has he, he's the only one that like someone he can ruin someone else's ending or not ruin but change oh. someone else's ending of all the alternate endings of oh the right space yeah, because you can combine the space cop and publisher endings to get him arrested on the talk show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good touch. Oh my gosh. So, uh, Kevin, who was who was your team? Who, who who was in your movie? I went with Wendy because she's a writer. Um, although, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't like her music. It's fairly terrible. It's, it's so and I went with, yeah. And then I went with the surfer dude because I'm from California. So you know that's all we do out here, bro. We just surf all the time. <laughs> Hang 10. But isn't he like the one character that you can't actually beat the game with? You can beat him with all of them. I think you can beat it with him. Yeah. You just don't get any special ending. You just well, get like... You need somebody else with him. Like mm-hmm. he can he can do it, um, but he only has one ending. I think that's available to him because all he can do is fix the phone. Like right. Those... And Bernard can also do that. Yeah. Along with every other thing that Bernard can fix. Right. <laughs> He's just a dumb. Yeah. It's just nice to have a dumb character for comic relief. You know, he's a good, he's a great, it's too bad they couldn't, I wish they had a little bit more of like the pairings have different dialogues with each other. I know they kind of do, but like, I feel like there could have been more scenes with him and Bernard. Oh, that, that'd be great. What? Like a Dragon Age style thing where the characters are <laughs> like, commenting yeah. on each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like they can't, yeah. I've been, I've been fantastic. They have a little bit at the beginning, but it's mostly like most of the characters only interact with Dave. I want to see what Razor and Sid are talking about in in terms of music composition. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. get them both together on the piano and see what they do and then windy hates both those guys like windy comes in and just like you know that's not real music um yeah. who, who did you uh who did you pick jim um okay so i was again when i was playing this i was i was very young ultimately i think i went the same way that you did gary it's just i went solely by the music at which point it was i had to have either razor or sid and then they were the main and dave just didn't exist I only used him, like, when absolutely necessary. Otherwise, it's just like, all right, uh, we're going to take Dave, immediately get him thrown in the dungeon, and he's just going to be on loose brick duty. (laughs) Yeah, is it like, Dave is kind of the most worthless character, isn't he? It's kind of strange. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he he, he doesn't have uh, verbs. I like his music track a lot, but other than that, like, he doesn't, he can just work Mm -hmm. out and open the grate. Yeah, he's just he's the uh, he's the Red Ranger of the team. Yeah. So he is yeah, he's there cuz he has to be, but he doesn't actually contribute anything of value. One of the things that I love about him just real quick though about the soundtrack for him is the name of his theme is The Boys Are Still Back. And uh you listen to that and it is like an 8-bit Thin Lizzy kind of knockoff, <laughs> you know. So I love imagining like Ron Gilbert like furiously coding this game like rocking out to jailbreak you know in the, in the garage at sky rancher sky skywalker ranch because it sounds like a thin lizzie song like the dual guitar lines like and everything the mm-hmm. one minute long solo right after the verse it's um. like george lucas knocks on the door you better keep that noise down you're giving us a bad reputation you're like Ugh. i'm trying to work on howard the duck here guys <laughs> <laughs> tim robbins is furious Right, uh, so my my team had to be someone, one of the musicians, because to my again like six year old mind, I wanted to rock out. I wanted to rock out to Razor to you know Razor's uh, to Razor's jams. 
even though I was probably most relate, I could probably relate most to Bernard. I never wanted to use him because I think I was just too scared to to do that level of of self assessment. <laughs> at least not at that age. It's like looking into a mirror. Maniac Mansion is like the Rorschach test of of video mm-hmm. games. It's it's not only is it the Spec Ops, it's the Rorschach test of video games. It's the everything of video games. <laughs> It's the Godfather and the Citizen Kane yeah. and the Beatles. Yeah. Well, man, you may have heard of. Call Razor in the Scumettes. So we killed the hamsters. We've, <laughs> we've jumped into a radioactive water, or at least jarred it. How do you jar radioactive water without getting it on you? Anyway, so we've done all these awful things to our teammates. I'm wondering about final thoughts. Before, before I get into you, Gary, Jeff, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go first here. I grew up playing Commodore 64, so I was and playing a lot of these text text-based games like The Hobbit and things like that. And so I always see a point and click kind of as a, especially this one as an extension of that, a way to put this put those ideas into the a little bit more uh, engaging thing. There's things there's a lot of limits to text-based adventures and that this thing was able to break out of and do interesting that I really enjoyed. I really like the time-based stuff that you have 5 minutes to complete a task. Or else, you know, your path to the end changes. I, I feel like that's an idea in video games that probably should be used more often. The, like the package being a great example. If you don't get to it, you don't have you lose that option of mail. Anything anymore? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I the comedy is great in this game. It's funny. It's irreverent. It's dumb and funny and smart at the same. It's dumb and smart at the same time, which is we all love that, right? <laughs> and I particularly, I think my favorite part of this game is the multiple endings, uh, specifically the multiple ways you can kill Meteor. Or not kill Meteor, you know? You send, you can feed him to a plant. You can dunk them and you can drown it. You can do other awful things to it. You can make him uh, go on a road trip. You can go on a space road trip where it says we. It says it enjoys it. I don't know. I, I That's just me. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's a classic. It's awesome. Everyone should at least get a taste of it, although I think it's harder to find nowadays. That's me. What about you, Jim? How did you feel about Maniac? How did you feel about Maniac Mansion? It was a very important part of my childhood in that it, I went to my parents frequently to ask them questions about what things in that game were. When I asked my dad, for example, what's Pepsi? Dad, oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dad, what's an Edsel? And I then got a long talk about how my dad wasn't allowed to get an Edsel when he was young, and instead book? bought a and instead bought a Gremlin. Which is, like, functionally the same thing. Did he not buy an Edsel because it's unsafe at any speed? I think it was that... I think his friends would just make fun of him too much for it. Oh, okay. No, that's a real book. I don't know if you know the history of the... I think it's the Edsel. Uh, What's his face? The crazy Green Party guy. Nader? Nader wrote a book called Unsafe at Any Speed, and it was how dangerous the Edsel was and how it could kill you. (laughs) It was like the jungle, but cars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you just take one look at it, and all the like the style part of your brain just shuts off. But unfortunately, right. that part also controls your heart. <laughs> so there's a lot. Like there were a lot of questions that I had from like in in playing through the game when I was young. I thought like I was almost in like the perfect spot for that, and at least in being in teaching myself problem solving in a game in the game space because. Uh, in point-and-click adventure games, that's entirely what, what what it's about. It's it's kind of a, a logic problem in a way, but at least something that is far more atmospheric than just filling out a grid about, 
you know, Mr. Brown living three doors to the left of Gary and then just Xing a couple things off. The humor mostly was lost on me at that mm-hmm. time. And actually, I had to, I went in going back through and watching some videos of this, I'm laughing at the things that I had missed. <laughs> like, you know, anything involving uh, any sort of sexual connotation. <laughs> just, nope, I didn't pick up on any of that because I was six. The other thing I remember from this game specifically is guessing the dungeon code. I don't actually remember where you find that out. I just remember, like, just entering, like, zero, 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 and the door opening, like... You might be able to illuminate this, Gary. There's two parts to it. There's zero, zero, zero is one code, and then when he shuts the lights off and turn them back on, is another code. The code changes halfway through the game. It's like a high... It's, the arcade comes into play. Yeah, like, it's like a high score. High score on Meteor Madness is what it is, yeah. So you have yeah. to keep playing uh, Meteor Madness, which is the only game where it has the... The coin return is broken, so you can keep using the quarter on it. Yeah, so it's a. I said it was an awesome game to revisit, and I'm, I'm pretty. I was pretty excited to to play it a, just to play it a little bit. I'm a little burnt out on point and click as a genre. It's a very dense field right now in the indie game space, and if you're not careful, you'd wind up kind of just playing a lot of them in a row and then forsaking the genre and never wanting to play anything like that again. I call it. I call it Jim's opinions on RTS games. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super great. It's super hilarious. Uh, they did some very innovative things that you can see references to in, in so much now. So that's Jim's thoughts. Gary. Uh, yeah. Gary. Yeah, a lot of similar thoughts. Generally pro. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny because you bring up um, being kind of burned out in point-and-click adventure games because like this is a game that I think can be have light or dark shed on it based on its context. Like, Right now, I agree with you that that is true, and as kind of an indie darling genre, like I am a little bit more wary. And at the time in the world, like point and click adventure games were huge. That's why I got ported to the NES. But this being on the NES was such a big deal to me, just because it was one of like two point and click adventure, you know, or five like point and click adventure games on the NES. So like it had that opposite problem at the time, where it was just incredibly rare. And the, I had a really similar experience with the humor, like things that made me laugh when I was young, like uh, Michael and the Hamster. And then things I didn't get until I was older, like I, you know, replayed it as a teenager or as a late teen. I was like, oh, staircase out of order. That's not a thing that can happen. Like you can like stairs don't, you know, they're not electronic. It's like a Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, it's exactly like that. It's like it's a super, super dry kind of humor. So that, like the humor kind of aged with me in, in a really uh, kind of beautiful way. And it just, it, I can't divorce myself from all of the firsts. Like this game was really scary to me in a way that like, uninvited wasn't or you know explicitly horror games weren't just because like every kid you know i didn't wasn't scared of a of a space meteor but i was scared of getting caught you know and this is a game that like where you're constantly under this tension of like i'm getting caught i'm going to be caught doing something i'm not supposed to be doing uh, which is like super relatable as a kid you know and then as i like that was my kid feeling and then as i got older i'm like oh you know this uh, this evil meteor manipulating this guy and forcing him to do these things like that's a pretty cool idea too even if it is cheesy and, and B movie um, asking they they put a bunch of trappings like the uh, I feel, I kind of feel like I came on the show just to talk about this as a horror game which is a weird way to look at it um, and I, I do think it is really funny and, and lighthearted but like in revisiting it that was the thing that impressed me the most was like how it worked on that level yeah so super super good I think that there's a version of like Maniac Mansion Deluxe which is a yes. remake that you can get um, that has uh, doesn't have the NES music, sadly, but has kind of updated graphics. Um, and I yeah, think that's the easiest uh, way to play it now. Yeah, it's DOSBox. Or I think if you go to Bandonia, 
Yeah. They, they, it's it's an abandoned wear title, although who knows how long it'll be there because it's owned by Disney now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they'll, they'll grab nab it. Sure. I would love to see yeah. in the in the face of uh, Thimbleweed Park have like a re-release of this or a deluxe version similar to the uh, Monkey Island deluxe remake where you can kind of switch back and forth between the old and new graphical styles and, and such. Mm-hmm. So that'd be really cool. Again, it's owned by it's owned by Disney, so it'll be like Haunted Mansion. Yeah, well, <laughs> Disney's Haunted Mansion. The only, like the edition. reason they would do it is just uh, like maybe it would be cheap and they'd make money from it. You know, like I would love oh, it yeah. if they kept their grubby, you know, three fingered paws off it in order to like <laughs> just make a little bit extra bank. I've heard they're make they're remaking some adventure games to come out almost simultaneously with Grim Fandango. Hmm. I'll just keep looking into that as an update. Uh, but anyway, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Gary. Uh, where can people where can people find find you online? Um, you can find uh, all my pod stuff at duckfeed.tv. Um, I do a bunch of shows there. Um, probably of primary interest, uh, our our video old video game show is called Watch Out for Fireballs in a similar kind of format. And um, but there are a bunch of other shows in that network. Um, you can find my writing. I write for the yearbook office from time to time. Um, you can also find it at Gary.net. And then uh, on Twitter at uh, GaryBuh, G-A-R-Y-B-U-H. And then, uh, oh, and if you uh, are interested in music, if you go to DuckBee.tv forward slash store, um, I do albums in Mario Paint Composer. So I have two 50-song albums in Mario Paint Composer made up of like 30 to 45-second length songs. Oh, that, oh that's so, brilliant. I need to go take a look at this. Yeah. So those, are, those, those will set you back five bucks. They're, they're reasonably priced for a lot of... A lot of tracks. Like, it is only about 40 minutes of music, but it is a lot of tracks. Thank you for listening. One More Turn is produced, created, and hosted by Jim Staholsky and Kevin King. If you have any comments or questions for us, please email us at onemoreturnpodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us directly. I am at Yonder Hillside. Jim is... At Fuzziest Kitty. And Gary is at... Gary Buh, G-A-R-Y-B-U-H. Do us a favor, rate us on iTunes or other popular podcaster sites. IED is courtesy of Pixel Hate off his album of the Revolution. You can find more of his music at pixelh8.co.uk. Blue Paint is courtesy of Breakbeat Heartbeat and the Waveform Dinner is off Breakbeat's album 2206. You can find more of Breakbeat's music at soundcloud.com slash breakbeat heartbeat. Kevin, Kevin, what are we going to do next week? Uh, next week is show and tell, Jim. Show, game, tell, game. I'm afraid I can't do that yet. I hate this game! <laughs>